Garden Gnome Liberation Front has come into being for the sole purpose of liberating gnome kind everywhere. For too long have these wonderful people suffered under the cruel mistreatment of humans. Man has looked down on these poor people for too long only because they are lacking in height. This discrimination must stop, and it's up to each and every one of us to see that it does. No longer shall these once proud people be forced to remain outdoors and fight the elements while their human owners enjoy the comforts of climate control and central heating and air. No longer must gnomes suffer the extreme heat of summer nor the severe and biting cold of winter. Never again shall gnome kind suffer the indignity of being bombarded with bird feces. Never again should a gnome be the victim of a careless pizza delivery driver, for there's no greater fear among the gnomes than that of being crushed by an automobile. With cruelty and carelessness, humans place the gnomes in precarious and dangerous positions, and I say to you, this must stop now. Let this serve as a call to arms to all those who would sympathize with the plight of the garden gnomes. I put it to each and every one of you to take up the fight wherever you see it. This cruelty must stop. The Garden Gnome Liberation Front can be found on Facebook simply by searching for Garden Gnome Liberation Front. Take action. The revolution draws near. to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is talk about weird stuff. At least, that's what I do every seventh episode, but for the great majority of the shows that I release, I actually talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But being as this is one of the seventh episodes, today, I'm going to be talking about weird stuff. But... I never talk about weird stuff by myself. No, no. Joining me, as always, is Two True Freaks co-host and Two True Freaks co-founder and my personal benefactor, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Glad to have you. This is definitely going to be a weird one, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, I got a question for you. Okay. Did you know that there's no such thing as nuclear weapons, by which I mean that what most people think of, like Terminator 2 Judgment Day type shit, those types of weapons don't actually exist. Did you know that? Well, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably in, in past weird shows, I've mentioned my ex-roommate um, who maybe went a little cray-cray. Yeah towards the end um, I have heard a variation on this theory from him 
Now this is it's different than the one we're going to be going over today, but he was he was of the opinion through his his magnetic math that um yeah that um the nuclear bombs do work but only in about four or five places on earth where the magnetic field is correct anywhere else they they just wouldn't work the conditions aren't correct for using them therefore there were a few places where they set off nuclear bombs including Hiroshima and Nagasaki because they were on the right right chunk of the earth to do it but uh, otherwise you could you could drop a nuclear weapon almost anywhere and it would just land on the ground like a dud and that they were just used as you know to, to basically the masses were fooled into thinking that they were an all-purpose weapon that would work anywhere but it was all a sham huh. well the um before actually before we get going too far into that um just to kind of wind the clock back a little bit one of my favorite things that two true freaks ever did back before i ever even thought about starting my own podcast one of my favorite things that two true freaks used to do is freak files right where you and gardner would get together and you basically shoot the bull about I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it was like it, it was like a, a prototype of weird stuff. It was basically you guys would find something that's just kind of fucked up, at least by mainstream standards, and then you talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I like the idea of that. I always liked. I always liked. You guys didn't do very many of those shows, but I always liked it when you did because it was always, you know, for a bunch of guys that like. Uh, you know, Heat Vision and, and Star Trek and all that kind of stuff to kind of shift gears and talk about why you can you can rest assured that the moon landing was in fact a real thing that actually happened in 1969. It was kind of an interesting change of pace. So it was good in terms of variety, but it was also good in terms of content, you know? And so, you know, I, I guess, you know, what I, what I at least aspire for this particular episode to be is something that's at least as listenable as what is what you guys did, right? Now, uh, I'm not sure if you remember this, but it was probably about a year ago that I'm not saying that this is when the conspiracy theory started getting traction, because something like this has got to have been around for a long time. But I don't remember really hearing a whole lot about this until I want to say it was about a year ago, and it was so shocking at least to me that i had to i mean you were literally the only person that i that i would ever have wanted to talk to about this and you and i even had a skype uh little chat about it you know we had a little Mm -hmm. conversation about you know well you know at some point you know we definitely need to you know do a show about the the definite possibility that's absolutely confirmed maybe that nuclear weapons don't really exist and so that's for anyone listening that's that was like the genesis of this show. Now, it, it seems kind of kind of unfair to put you on the spot since I had I really don't have any way of answering this question straight myself. But do you believe that nuclear weapons actually exist, or is it a hoax of some kind, or is the truth perhaps somewhere in the middle? Well, I mean, to to think that. 
my problem with big conspiracy hoaxes of say the the nuclear weapons are fake is the amount of energy that you would have to put into keeping that conspiracy um tight you know it's it's that's something you don't want to get out you know if mm -hmm. it's true absolutely do not want to get out that would you know that would be a major that would shake up many you know every nuclear power on earth would all it would it would upset the power balance on the planet if if that were true mm -hmm. now i i can't use that as evidence to say it's not true but at the same time you, there would be more if if it, if it were something that was true there would I just don't see how you can have something from the 40s up until now without any major deathbed confessions, you know, or being able to kill or intimidate the amount of people that you would have to kill or intimidate to keep it quiet. So I tend to believe that 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 it's real, you know, and that there's been definite, you know, um measurements of radiation due to it and and all that um i think it's a fascin it's a great idea <laughs> it, it 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 leads to many different fascinating threads if it were true of of how it how it went about and you know how i mean i love the idea that the united states came up with the idea and, and invented the fake bomb and then Basically, so you have the other countries that are nuclear powers right now that have the bomb. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically just saying instead of those countries being technically advanced to get the bomb, those are the countries that had an advanced enough uh, system of espionage that they were able to find out that, that the Americans were faking the bomb and then able to say and then basically make a Mexican standoff by saying, oh, yeah. We made the bomb, too. Yep, we got it, too. And then, you know, the United States has to go along with it because they can't, you know, let the cat out of the bag. So basically every country that finds out it all of a sudden has the bomb. So mm. well, the, the reason I I want to be careful how I say this, because it's not that I believe that they exist and it's not that I believe they don't exist. It's almost in a weird kind of way. Um, not trying to be in the middle about it, but I guess just be open minded. You know, that I'm open to either possibility. But the reason I the reasons I could believe that it doesn't exist is there are confirmed reports. All right. It's not like this is idle speculation or anything like that. There is like actual evidence that the Soviet Union infiltrated the Manhattan Project. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know why this doesn't get talked about more, but this was a real thing. I mean, you know, the Soviet Union, the commies had guys on the inside, like inside, inside. All right. It's not just that the Manhattan, the Manhattan project was doing classified top secret work. It's that the existence of the Manhattan project itself was classified top secret. Right. Right. So for Stalin to have gotten his hooks that deep into American R and D should tell you something, right? And the the reason, at least at that time, that the Soviet Union didn't pursue a nuclear program of their own, notwithstanding the fact that they were fighting a war against Germany at the time, 
Stalin was on record saying that this weapon, this idea that the Americans are experimenting with, it has no practical applicability to it, right? This isn't going to work. Not that it doesn't exist. Not that, uh, not a humanitarian thing that, well, you know, people really shouldn't have the, right. this kind of destructive power in their arsenal and they can just drop it on anybody. Nothing like that. It's that this won't work. You now, know? did he mean it wouldn't work as in it physically wouldn't work or it wouldn't work as From like a technical a standpoint, it's not going to oh, work, okay. you know? And, um, so, you know, now the thing is, I mean, you know, obviously one can't go behind closed doors in history and find out, you know, what was really going on. It would be great if we could, but, you know, unfortunately we just don't have the ability to do that at least now. And so, you know, all we have to do is, all we can do is, is go off of, you know, the documentary evidence that we've got. But, you know, what we know for sure is that America was facing a, basically it was going to be a land invasion of Japan. And every military expert at that time said that the casualties on both sides would have numbered in the tens of millions. All right. And so it was thought that, look, the Japanese know that they're going to lose and we know that we're going to win. But what it's going to take to get to that point. Right. Is going to be pretty, pretty grisly. Everybody here is looking for a way out. The Japanese want a way out where they can save face. Americans want a way out where they 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 can save American lives. I don't because I don't think they really cared about Japanese lives so much. But they at least wanted to save American lives. And so, the idea was, well, look, this Manhattan thing that we've been working on, it seems like it creates a really a really bright flash, and there's a little bit of fire and stuff. So you know, what if we say that this weapon that we've been trying to work on, that doesn't work? What if we say that it does work? What if we convince uh, the Japanese that it works, we, what we'll actually do is just firebomb the shit out of Hiroshima or wherever, and then we can force their surrender that way. Because if you look at aerial photographs of places like um, Hamburg or Dresden or places like that, I mean, they got the shit blasted out of them. But those were yeah. structures that were made of cement and uh, there's some steel and some brick and some other things. I mean, relatively durable building materials. Lots whereas, of stone, yeah. Whereas if you compare, um, you know, Hiroshima to, say, Dresden, the, it's going to look pretty lopsided. You compare Hiroshima to Tokyo, which we know was bombed with conventional explosives, they actually look pretty similar. And the reason for that is because a lot of structures in Japan at that time were built of wood and paper and other easily... Uh, uh, destructible um, building materials, whereas the few rigid stone structures, any kind of stone that you can think of, they tended to be more okay. And so, you know, I'm not saying that this is the this is how we know beyond any shadow of a fucking doubt that nuclear weapons yeah. don't exist. It's just interesting evidence. To well, like, like I'd say, uh, like my thought on this is, if you were going to pursue that. You're talking a lot of serious research, you know, you're, you're, if, if you really wanted to research that, you would have to like, I don't know if you'd have to go into Freedom of Information Act, but you'd have to go to libraries and call up information, read a lot of books, buy the, you know, 
you know, read the read those two thousand page books on the Manhattan Project and get all the details of it. Um, um, so um, what you sent me for for the initial page that sort of seemed to be what you were saying is like maybe the the so to speak ground zero of this whole uh conspiracy theory for me for my participation for you um i was i was going on uh, reading this going on okay so how did this guy get to his conclusions and like most conspiracy theories it's all he's asking all the questions every bullet point he has pretty much has about a year's worth of research <laughs> yeah attached to it if you really wanted to present a lot of you know and that's uh that's the that's the idea of a lot of of um conspiracy theories is an idea that can take hold in your head and then um um like um okay so what one of the one of the um points he used is uh if you go on google maps and you pull up the bikini atoll which we bombed the hell out of testing you know he he says you can see plant life all over the bikini the the islands of the bikini atoll and and animal life in the in the water therefore it didn't happen because it should be you know they said it should be uninhabitable for you know for a thousand years or something like that well that that's an observation that this guy made without using science or anything just on his own you know okay i looked at this on google maps and and uh i see plants how can plants be on there it's supposed to be well um i don't know i'm not a scientist but that just raises a question the the plants that are growing on the bikini islands might be ones that are extremely hardy with radiation you know there's some plants that'll grow in radiation. They'll suck it right up into them and, you know, sort of filter it out of the atmosphere. You know, that, that might be just what's growing on the bikini atolls. We don't we don't know. That would need to be researched to to finish up his idea from it. And, um, you know, one of another one was uh, uh, limited trolley service was revived in Hiroshima only, you know, after only three days. And uh, then it links to an article, you know, from the 40s where it's like, well, it was actually a modern article about the trolley that was running. They'd restored it and it's running again. They're, they're using it in Hiroshima right now. And uh, and so I thought about that and I'm like, yeah, that seems strange. But if if they had that trolley, you know, down in in a in a trolley garage underground somewhere and and then you know the trolley's got an engine on it and as long as the tracks aren't directly destroyed you can drive that trolley on the tracks you know right so i think a lot of what this is is it, well, that's it, any conspiracy theory though i mean like every, yeah 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 the to me the whole point of a of any kind of sellable conspiracy theory is you, the worst thing i think a, a conspiracy theorist could possibly do is give you irrefutable evidence the whole point of a conspiracy theory is to present the ambiguity something that could that could have a devious explanation or something that could have a completely benign explanation and, and, and this, it, well, this does now we get into the whole conversation this is the conversation you know 
um, sometime we should have my friend uh, Dr. Wendy Painting on. Mm -hmm. She knows her conspiracy theory. She just wrote a, a 800 page book on Timothy McVeigh. Oh, sure. I shouldn't say she just wrote. She it's it's been like an eight year process for her. Um, I had the job of organizing all her research materials and notes and, and, uh, you know, writing down all the information for the bibliography for it. Right. And, uh, the amount of research that this woman did <coughs> on Timothy McVeigh is just unbelievable. I could never have, I never would have had the patience or the, or the, time or whatever she's a professor so she could work at it you know it was part of her life but boy oh boy she did a lot of work and at the end her book is is ambiguous it's it's basically she's not working backwards from a conclusion she's just presenting all the different trails that she went down as she did research into him which ended up making the whole thing even more confusing you know it, it it pulled it away from some conspiracy theories but it would push towards other ones and then back and forth and um i mean i would argue that a conspiracy theory should be aimed if you're if you're serious about it if you if you're seriously trying to debunk or expose something you would want to go towards irrefutable truth you know you would be wanting to do it as um, and, and a lot of, um, when, when I talk to her, she, and she, I'm on a lot of conspiracy theory pages with her, there's a lot of talk about the difference between conspiracy theory and investigation, you know, and that like the, 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 um, there, there can be a lot of confusion from it or the words conspiracy theory could be used to stifle actual investigation, you know, actual investigation, a conspiracy theory is the start should be the, 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 the kernel of, of, uh, beginning of, um, you know, the catalyst to trying to trace it back to, okay, what well, is this true or false and definitively prove that and either debunk the conspiracy theory or blow it all the way open. Right. But <laughs> emotionally, that's no fun. That's not how, you know, yeah, most conspiracy theories are something that people just like to read about and think about and stuff like that. That's sort of more, it's almost like there's the consumer aspect of it and then there's the researcher aspect of it. And, um, and you know, the price that she paid for writing that book is it doesn't sell as much as if she was like Timothy McVeigh was a mind-controlled, you know, government plant put into, you know, cause damage so that they could, you know, there, I mean, there's, there's a million different theories with Timothy, Timothy McVeigh or that he was, he was working with the government to infiltrate white supremacist groups and got carried away or yeah, there's a million of them. And she goes down every route, but she basically just presents the evidence and won't say well this is what he did because you can't you know de definitively until you find that information that says definitively that they did and something like this the the um nuclear bombs this this has great legs as an internet entertainment conspiracy theory 
just because the, to to debunk it would take a lot of work, you know, or you know, to debunk things point by point. Uh, there's a couple of there's a couple of his points that were immediately debunkable. You know, I could just polish them right off. There was one where he said, ah, there's there's only really, you know, you only really hear from a handful of uh, eyewitness, eyewitnesses to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, you know, you would think there would be a lot more eyewitnesses. No, so I started I started um, Googling eyewitness reports of of um, um, survivors of Nagasaki and Hiroshima because I've read several books by survivors of it, you know, from comic books to. You know, to uh, Hiroshima by John Hersey, which lists all, you know, all the all the people that they interviewed for it and, and stuff like that. And I just started finding, you know, I found archives and archives full of people's, you know, oral where people had archived the oral history of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and and what the people experienced there. So it's it's just like the people who talk about um um, the um, Pentagon on 9/11, and say, "Well, it wasn't a plane that hit the Pentagon." It's like there were hundreds and hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of people on a throughway that watched that plane clip off, you know, the the lights on the throughway with its wings on its way to the Pentagon, and then go down below building level, and then they heard an explosion. So. There does seem to be a direct chain of cause and effect. I think what the guy said, just to kind of nuance his point a little bit, and just to be fair to him, I think I, I think what I think his point was, for the American press, his argument was there was only one source who just so happened to be on the payroll of the United States government. Oh and, yeah, and that was all the American public was allowed to see. Now, that's of the that's that's part and partial of the times too, you know, and the the the. You know, this is just post post World War Two. I mean, the, you know, the 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 government and the country were much more willing to ac- ac- accept that and be, you know, and 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 at the same time, I mean that that's that was a big deal. So I could totally see the government being being as secretive and. Well, for the moment, let's just say that it, say that that's true. I honestly don't know. I didn't I didn't really check on it, but I'll just give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that that's true. That the only source for a long time that the American public had access to for the, the uh, bombings of Japan, or at least those atomic bombings, w- indirectly was the government itself. I will grant you that argument. Fine. The kind of touch on you know why exactly would would the government have wanted it to be that way i mean if there really are nuclear weapons and if they really do work the way that we see in terminator 2 judgment day then doesn't it stand to reason that the government at that time forget about right now don't think about right now think about 1945 right what might the american public do who might they kill if they find out the full scope of the destructive power that's just been unleashed. You know, I mean, there is literally no psychologist in the world that's qualified to give you an answer to that. And so I could see where it benefited the government to be a little bit circumspect about it at that time. You know, and it obviously makes sense. I mean, again, presupposing that there are nuclear weapons, 
And again, I'm 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 taking the open-minded position on that. I'm not saying yes, and I'm not saying no. They're certainly not going to publish a uh, cookbook on how to make a nuclear fucking bomb yeah. in the in the New York Times. It's just fucking not going to happen. So it's so here again, it's one of those things where if they really do exist, there's an obvious and compelling reason to keep the mechanics of how to create a nuclear bomb under wraps. I would but, argue that they'd want to keep every aspect of it under wraps because at that point they were trying to be you know the 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 and, and it got out but they were trying to be the only people you know the only country with that capability you know so it was just like you would want a locked sealed box on everything you wouldn't want to know people to know who is responsible for anything anything what what companies were smelting the metal that was used for it you know you would probably want to try to keep everything under wraps i would anyway if that was my goal and you know well and look and, you're and never gonna that. do it but the I, more you try and, and look i mean I, I get all of that and i'll even i'll even go so far as that actually makes a certain a certain kind of sense but i mean the writing was on the wall and even in 1945 right the allies were going to win the war and once they did, they would not be allies anymore. For sure, it was ultimately right. going to be a conflict between the United States and the Soviet Union. And so basically, all they all they really had to do was tolerate each other long enough to win the war. And then after the fall of Berlin, all bets are off. And so I can see where uh, the brass at the top of the government might have wanted to have a an advantage real or perceived militarily over the Soviet Union, just because at that moment, if it had to, like if the day after J uh, Japan surrendered, the Soviet Union then turns right around and declares war on the United States, which for all anybody knew was totally possible. Well, now we have at least something to give them, to give them pause. And I can yeah. see where at that time, geopolitically, it made a certain amount of sense to say, yeah, we've we've we have this bomb. It'll fuck you up, and there is basically nothing in Moscow that's going to protect you from us. So watch your back. And yeah, we just had two wars that had actually put a dent in the world's population. You know, so people were people were done with it. Yeah, and anyway, so I, I, here again, one cannot go behind closed doors in history. But if I had to guess, the only reason I can think of to go public with the fact that I have a weapon of this kind of magnitude is specifically to forestall a war, maybe forever, with the Soviet Union. You know, that anything other than that, I honestly don't know why you would why you would do it, because it just it doesn't make sense. Like the whole idea of a secret weapon, that's got a lot of disco potential to it. You know, the idea that they don't know that we have this. Now, they may have speculation, they may have uh, interpretation, they may have projections. They can have all of that stuff in the world. But until they have concrete evidence from us that we have this, we have them over a barrel and they don't even know it. So I don't know. I could see it either way is the point. I could see it either way. Once satellites became came into play, it's almost going to be impossible to hide in, you know, nuclear testing 
so you know once the once the 60s and 70s started you know you could you, you know once once you'd actually have to test your your weapon or even the advent of spy planes i mean they're kind of obsolete right. these days but at least at that time you know you never know who might be flying by overhead 3 miles up it's just interesting to me the whole idea of it and you know we're 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 right now we're 70 years down down the line you know plus from from the advent of the bomb so you know i mean it was huge you know into the 50s you had that 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 cold war and you had just the whole duck and cover mentality <laughs> and as time went on you know i mean nobody's used a nuclear weapon since since world war ii so that's its own it's, that and that's its own kind of red flag you know it, if, it feels less like a like a threat like even even in in our modern our modern like go-to of like a nuclear bomb like is just like you said terminator 2 and and you know the modern nuclear bomb supposedly you know is many megatons larger than Hiroshima and Nagasaki but um that perception of the bomb going off and people being vaporized is i think in some ways accurate i think the reality is somewhere in between terminator 2 and indiana jones and the uh crystal skulls <laughs> where you can be blown away from it in a in a refrigerator and still live you know or i i think in our collective minds and our collective imaginations and over the years and you're a little young for this but when i grew up there, that we had one little burst of uh, time where there was a little bit of nuclear panic, and you had the movies uh, Testament and The Day After. Oh yeah, I've seen on, The Day on, After <laughs> on TV, and uh, te- uh, The Day After being sort of the pop, you know, network one, and Testament was on PBS and was way bleaker. And there were other ones. There was one called there was a British one called When the Wind Blows, which was animated and based on a comic book. Hmm. about a proper british couple oh it's 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 that's it's quite a it's the music the music for it i believe is all david bowie and roger waters wow uh, yeah it's on it's on youtube i i highly it's great it is depressing because it's a proper old british couple who you know the bot the bombs drop and he, you know they pull out their manuals on how to survive and they're slowly dying of radiation poisoning and trying to keep, you know, a semblance of their normal, you know, it's tea time. And meanwhile, you know, little blood's coming out of the corner of my oh, Mind your mouth, Ma, you've got some blood coming out of it. Oh, my hair. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so uh, gee, That's depressing just to hear it. Wow. Yeah, and the comic, I mean, the comic was drawn in these really, like, water, soft, watercolory, nice bright colors and as it goes on it gets into more grays and brow sooty browns and stuff like that but there was that whole there was a whole period where people i remember as a kid seeing the day after in testament and being and you know and those sort of testament especially driving home 
you know, the the effects of a nuclear war and testament being, you know, I mean, the the day after, which is the one everybody saw, mm-hmm. that was the one that had the scenes of people, you know, standing by their cars and and turning into glowing skeletons and disappearing and stuff. Testament was like there was a bright flash and, you know, the houses weren't burned out. They were they were far enough away to where it's they're just dealing with the radiation and and stuff like that and uh so it's more of just a degradation of society through it and i think people in their in our our collective minds we picture the nuclear bomb as being so horrific because the idea of it is incredibly horrific and final that when and of all since, you know, the bomb was invented, all the stories, all the movies and books and stories that have ended in a mushroom cloud and, you know, the amount of times it's been used as a metaphor for the folly of man. I think in our minds, we picture a much more, not that it isn't dramatic when you drop a nuclear bomb. But I think people picture almost more of a sci-fi scenario of it, of like it vaporized. You know, they heard the story of people's shadows were burned onto the walls. And so they picture it more as just almost like this Armageddon-like thing that just vaporizes everything. And there's a there's a element to that. But, you know, and, and, and also people picture radiation as just sort of this like wiggly lines in the air. And stuff, and really more of what it is are little particles that are sticking to you and stuff. So the nature of radiation is is different than than people think. So I think when you read the real stories of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it's like why are why are these people even able to function this much in it? You know, right? Even even when you get to the more horrific aspects of it, it's like, okay, the trolley's running. I, I thought all the trolley tracks would have been melted and twisted. Yeah, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I'd have to read more science on it, you know, and the science on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I mean, and in the scope of the bombs today, you know, theoretically, um, those were tiny little things, you know, those were little little firecrackers compared to to what we have today right. but um well your uh, comments about those uh tv shows it did actually kind of remind me of um and to kind of tie this back in a little bit with uh i don't know about conspiracy theorists but a little bit of you know the the paranoia that sometimes is mm-hmm. well i say sometimes is frequently always bubbling just beneath the surface like you remember i want to say it was like 10 years ago or something like that but there was a show that was on tv called Jericho. You remember that? Vaguely. Well, the shtick of the show, it was kind of like a last Babylon, but basically uh, like a last Babylon meets, I guess, latter day walking dead. Where, okay. Uh, the government basically has fallen because of, you know, they got, they done got nukerized. And so, you know, you basically have these towns and municipalities that are having to fend for themselves and so, you know, basically you have farmers and stuff that are all of a sudden, you know, they went from being not, they were never disrespected in town, you understand, but now all of a sudden everybody depends upon them. Everybody. Right, right. 
you know, and it, and, you know, basically what does this do to society? Not so much like the big story of who dropped the nuke and we got to find, no, it's not that shit. It's like now you're living in the aftermath and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever life was before, just forget it. Cause we're not going back to that, you know, kind of like the walking dead where it's not about how the zombie apocalypse started. It's about what people do after. Right. And right. same type of thing here. And the show ended up getting canceled because, let's face it, that's kind of esoteric subject matter for network fucking TV, mm -hmm. and especially back then when the markets. It were... might do better today. Well, it might, but I mean, in this in this time and place of like niche kind of micro programming, you'd need to do a show like that more of more as like a Hulu thing or a, or a Netflix or Amazon right, right. Type that's of thing. what I'm I'm saying. But, but you know, you might want to. But that's the thing is uh, another thing is it might be a little close to the bone. You know, it might be it, as as instead of being like, here's what, how people would survive after a nuclear war. Maybe that's why The Walking Dead does better because it has a layer of of fantasy and metaphor <laughs> to it. Because Walking Dead, you know, if you if you substituted the zombies for roving masses of hungry people <laughs> that were crazed, it could be a post nuclear scenario. You know. It would be the same sort of, it would be the same stories, you know. Yeah. Well, and the the point of it was that, um, I I at that time I, I was, I was not into survivalism. I was into following survival blogs or prepper type blogs and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And every single one of them, they were all huge Jericho fans, and all of them were convinced that. The cancellation of Jericho, this is too close to the truth. They, meaning the government, they had to force this show to get canceled because it was hitting too close to home. And it's like, no fucking, no, legitimately nobody, nobody was watching it. that show. <laughs> you know, sometimes, yeah. you know, a cigar is just a cigar. Sometimes a cancellation is just a cancellation. Now, I'm, well, when you live in your own world of, of conspiracy or even just one specific thing that you focus on that is your focus you start you can read into um anything that you know that that how that relates to you especially you know especially if it's something sort of in your wheelhouse like a good example recently was um that um black blogger guy he's a i i don't know if he's associated with black lives matter but he's in the same Sort of, he's a sort. He's. You mean like D Ray? Is that his name? The guy with the with the guy with the blue, um, vest. Is oh God, that wears, I don't he know. Wears a, he's a blogger. He wears a blue vest, and he's kind of a, kind of a social justice warrior. Maybe on the milder end of it, you know, maybe not as strident. Mm -hmm. But he's a you know social justice blogger, young guy, twenties, you know, early twenties looks like. And I guess he's got like forty-five thousand followers on Twitter and a you know a blog that people read, in that in those circles. You know, I'd never heard of him, but he there was a big hoopla. I guess there was a there, there were, internet posts about how he was enraged with the new Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah, that's D. Right. Because he yeah. called them out for being racist, and now there was a character with a blue vest in it called Bad Ape, and you know Ooh, this was just the filmmakers. This was the filmmaker with the exact same, you know, 
vest as me and he's called bad ape and so they're calling me an ape and and i'm thinking to myself i've seen the first two planet of the apes movies and i'm pretty sure the the writer directors aren't really of aren't really um foisting any kind they're kind of foisting the opposite of a racist message in here uh, it's planet of the apes so it's kind of a just general dystopian downer of a message of like apes human nature it's all the same that it's, it's the destructive nature you know that the apes learn to hate just like the humans and the humans or, or whatever but for him to believe that the filmmakers in the course of making this movie like read his blog that's you know popular among a certain group of people you know calling them racist that they picked that out of all the the internet talk and then said okay let's make a character for this movie that that to to troll this guy and say screw you and your racist message you're an ape you know meanwhile the the when you look at the vest that bad ape wears it looks like the vests that the the apes wear in the old planet of the apes movies that the gorillas wear mm. so it's a call back to it looks more like it's it's not exactly his vest it's a different color and it's got different ribbing on it which is more like planet of the apes ribbing so it's like way easier to imagine that that's why that was in there. And the character of Bad Ape was a very sympathetic character in the movie. And the is whole what, thing sort of falls apart after that. Right. It? But and it all falls into this guy's in his little world where, you know, he's got a lot of people. And it's a fairly big world to, to, to him in the, in the scope of the United States and the world. It's a, it's, it's a tiny niche. And... Of people, you know, forty-five thousand people is a lot of people, but in the, you know, out of three hundred million, it's not a lot. And to to think that the filmmakers did all that effort to just to troll one to, guy, to be, be racist towards him, and to endanger their movie by, you know, risking making a racist message in it and then getting pilloried in in. And you know, to the to their viewers, why would they do that? So you know, Occam's Razor says, ah, they probably didn't. You know, right. But yeah. when you're when you're in the when you're in a little con, uh, a conspiracy world where you're focused on something, you know, and and you're focused on nuclear conspiracies, yeah. When and there's a TV show about post nuclear things that it gets canceled. Of course, you you're like, ha ha. Well, look, I only saw a couple of episodes, and it's one of those things that. Admittedly, it was a little bit ahead of its time. Uh-huh. You know, um, not so much that, you know, the things they were talking about is, is just so cutting edge. No, it's actually very 1950s if you think about it. But no, yeah. the, the angle more was, uh, was that this would have been an amazing Netflix show. But it's just the idea of doing something so high concept as this where you have towns basically declaring their own sovereignty and independence and they have their own flags and one town declares war on another town and, well, you, you got to have to fight it because, you know, they did, just declared war on you and they're coming, you know. I mean, right. it, it, it's a good idea. There's a lot of creativity and imagination. Doesn't freaking work for uh, network television in the mid to late 2000s, bud. Sorry, 
you know? Yeah. I don't know if this was ever primetime material, but it definitely wasn't by then, you know? And if so, they made it more like the road warrior, maybe it would be, well, <laughs> you yeah, know? Well, and maybe so, but you know, the other thing that I saw, and this was on Netflix and, um, I think it started off as a BBC thing. And then for whatever reason, it was put on Netflix because reasons. And, um, I think it's actually called the end of the world or, or the end, or it's something like that, but it's basically uh, a bunch of different vignettes um, that show the world ending. This guy is just going about his day and he's doing the same, the same thing in each of the three segments, but in every single one, huh? I may have seen this. All right. Well, yeah. yeah, Well, and, and uh, you know, basically the world comes to an uh, an end in a different way in every single one of these different vignettes and at a different moment you know one of them is a um it's like a mass plague or something like that and i forget what the third one was but the second one i thought this was kind of interesting it was uh i think it was before there even was such a thing as cern but it was basically a cern type of thing where they never come right out and say it but it's ba- it's like basically this huge super collider, they basically open a portal instead of to another dimension, which I think was their goal. They open the portal to hell. And you can imagine what comes out of that. Oh, I I did not see this then. This sounds awesome. <laughs> you would think so. so. It, it turns like, into what? Lovecraft. Yeah. I thought you were going to say they opened up a black hole or something like or that. Maybe, that. maybe that's what it was, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But fuck it, whatever it was, I mean, it's just like it was, it just, it reminded me, uh, like, I don't know how much you remember about those old uh, uh, CERN uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, some of those were actually kind of interesting. I don't buy a single fucking word of it, but some well, of them... Well, CERN is figuring closely in the new in the new popular conspiracy theory, the um, Mandela effect. Oh, yeah. yeah there's there's a, a lot, lot of people who blame CERN for the Mandela effect. Well, I, I'll give them this. I, I will give them this. You know, they... The thing about the Mandela effect is that it's basically four-dimensional in nature. And so I do find it kind of interesting that the Mandela effect was noticed before CERN was actually a mm-hmm. thing. So <laughs> somebody, right. I guess, e- either is somebody's being very cheeky or somebody is very lucky. I don't know. But you're either funny or you're lucky. I don't know. It's, it's one of the two. But, you know, the whole thing about the Mandela effect is... You know, I mean, it's one of those things I haven't really invested a whole lot of time and imagination into. But, you know, there are certain things. What? It's not necessary to. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I will say that, you know, the the hook of any conspiracy theory is that ring of commonality, you know, that when you start thinking about I mean, how many times has Scott Gardner, God bless him, how many times has he said so and so just died? Oh shit! I thought they died years ago. You know, he was just—he was working someone on Facebook the other day, and it was hilarious. He with um, oh, it was uh with with Martin Landau. Was was it Martin Landau's? Yeah, Martin Landau's death. He's just like this is, you know, this is stupid. This happened two years ago. I remember, and someone was like, "No, it happened, you know, yesterday." And he's like, "I know. That's why it's ridiculous. He died two years ago. What? Why are they bringing it up again today?" And the person was just not. <laughs> not getting that he was getting wound up it was great but yeah i mean you know scott gardner might be one of those people who's he's yeah he was affected a little more by the or a little less by the dimensional shift so he's 
he's living in the dimension where all those guys died years ago. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the dimension. It's the wavelength. He's on a wavelength where he's in a different dimension where all the, where mountain Lando did die two years ago. Well, the one that everybody comes back to is, um, the, the spelling of Berenstain bears. Yeah. And, the thing about it was, like, I was a kid when I read those books. I mean, I loved them. I, I collected all of them, like, when a new one came out. You know, because I was, like, a seven years old, you know? we had When you're seven, you don't necessarily have ex- ex- extremely high standards for your literature. You just like kids' books, right? Right. But I seem to remember, like, on school assignments or something like that, writing Berenstain. And it was so hard to write and so, you know, what I, when I, then as now, I always took that as a personal challenge. You know, I, I love Polish names for the same reason, because if a word is hard to spell, being able to spell it anyway must mean you're smart, you know? And so I took a very special pride in being able to spell, you know, basically being able to punch above my weight a little bit. And, you know, that one really was a, uh, a, uh, it did break me a couple of times, as I remember, but I swear to think I, sp- I would spell it without an A anywhere in there. And, you know, at some point I remember looking at a cover and it doesn't help the fact that, you know, when you're seven years old, you can't really read that kind of scripty cursive type writing anyway. Right, right. And so, you know, A, how do you like if you're seven, how do you distinguish between cursive A and cursive E? You might not be able to, you know, and so... And I think the brain goes to it, and Berenstein seems it fits more. There's there's more names that end in S T. What was it? E I N. The end in Stein or Steen than end in Stain. You know. Yeah. So it just it just and I also think it worked that way in the minds of people, and I think at the same time. And here we'll get to TV Guide. Yeah. I think when they started making carti- cartoons of the Berenstain Bears, which that, I loved, <laughs> but I, I think that there's 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 numerous examples of it being spelled that way in the TV Guide, the Berenstain Bears Christmas, or you know whatever the 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 special was. And I think that was the person at the TV station or at TV Guide getting it wrong you know and just being like uh typing it up berenstein automatically you know well it's not like they had spell check back then let's be realistic right right or google search or anything like that and and it's not like anybody really cared either you know Hmm. so i i think a lot of people actually did see berenstein bears but it was in the context of like the TV guide and stuff, and and that just cemented. Well, and every time that. I see somebody present evidence for that, it's always, always, always TV guide. Now, right. Berenstein Bears for its time, it, it it was never exactly Disney in terms of being like this monolithic, inescapable presence. But there was a fair amount of swag that had Berenstein Bears somewhere on there, and I mean like. Uh, I remember seeing like uh, uh, like glasses and little figurines, stuff mm-hmm. that would have been listed in a catalog, you know, mm-hmm. in the eighties, like a Sears catalog or something like that, mm-hmm. or a toy catalog or, or or whatever, you know, videotapes and things like that. You know, if that was truly the way that it was pronounced, why don't we ever see evidence 
from from catalogs that have nothing to do with TV Guide or any of that other stuff. Right. You know, and it it always it always makes me wonder. You know, shit. It's not like I I, I kept any of that stuff around myself, but. I mean, somebody who's sitting on a 35-plus-year-old uh, copy of TV Guide, is it really out of the realm of possibility that they... Well, here's have? here's the thing. They also say, seeing as how there's been the dimensional shift, right? of course, like, you get the old books and they have, you know, they, they, they're not going to match your memory because you're in a different dimension. But then how does that explain the TV Guide, then? Does the TV Guide somehow magically immune to that and the t or you know there was a glitch in the matrix and the tv guide made it through it's more likely to me that the tv guide had to be so it, it it was a kind of publication that you couldn't make in one place you know it was that tv oh, no. guide was different for every city so you had a basic tv guide that had the articles in it and then every city got probably all the little synopses for all the network shows, which they would paste in, but then they would have to paste in all their local programming too. And then they'd have to change all the numbers because, you know, whatever channel it was that had ABC or CBS at all at that time. So it was a very, it was that TV guide was probably a group of, of women, like a typo pool, you know, like a steno pool, just working, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, setting up the TV schedule. It's just, you know, well, easy raises... for, for mistakes to be, be made, especially since they were doing it on computers. They had no way to cross-reference stuff without just physically doing it. So they probably were just whipping through it, and they were probably – I mean, the TV guide was always filled with typos or, oh, yeah. or you know, even like – you know, they would get the title of the show wrong or if it was a movie, they sometimes put the wrong cast in or sometimes you'd see one movie and then you'd see the synopsis for another movie in there because they'd got them switched and stuff. So, well, the yeah, um, very easy to mess up the TV guide. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about it, I mean, that's a problem that would only have intensified as time as time goes by, because, mm -hmm. you know, like in the the early to mid 80s there's a certain set of logistical challenges to making any any edition of a tv guide but when you start getting in more into like the mid to late 80s when you had more and more programs that were going straight to syndication such as star trek the next generation yep and um where the time and channel on which star trek the next generation is broadcast could vary wildly depending upon the, and the episode being played and and that you know, and it's, you know, there's an entire, I mean, I, you know, I guess looking back at it, it's a miracle TV guide lasted as long as it did. But anyway, like, I, I guess, you know, the, the broader point here is that there's no foolproof way. Like, like, here's a good, a, a good example, right? I remember when I was, and I will remember this for the rest of my life. All right. Because it was because of this that I never trusted TV guide again. <laughs> You know, this is the first and last time I ever trusted them. And what happened was they had a, a listing for a, a movie that was called Back to Batman. B-A-T-M-A-N. That's fucking what it said. And, I mean, at that time, I was a Batman junkie. Anything that had Batman on it, I'm going to watch. 
You know, and it's like back to what the fuck? What is? And that what? would be something you'd be like, yeah, I've never heard of this. Yeah, yeah, this is something new, and it's it's Batman, and Batman is automatically cool. So that means if I watch this, I'm gonna see something that's automatically. I don't even have to watch it to know it's cool. It's fucking Batman. So I walk, I, I watch this thing, and it's a Gene Hackman movie called Back to Baton. B a t a a n. And somebody just uh, made a simple fucking goof. And it, it, look, it happens to the best of us, right? But what I, that's not the way that a, that a 10-year-old thinks. When a 10-year-old experiences something like that, it's a betrayal of trust. And after that, I never trusted TV Guide ever again. And so whenever you say that it was this huge pool of basically secretaries who were uh, basically typing up a bunch of shit, this idea that, you know what? It's not only possible that typos could have uh, crept in there; it's inevitable. Oh yeah, you know, it's. I, imp- I got to see a Clockwork Orange, because in the TV guide it's an Agent Orange. Oh jeez. And my grandfather and Boy, is that I, a big my difference. grandfather had cable on my mother's side, and whenever I would go over to my grandfather's house, you know, he would check the HBO guide and be like, okay, you know. Uh, you know, no no R-rated movies or, you know, if they are R-rated, they have to get past past your parents first. But he saw, I, I would say, yeah, can I watch a movie at 8 o'clock over at your house on HBO? And he looked in the TV guide and it said Agent Orange. And he goes, sure, thinking I'm watching a documentary on Vietnam and being, like, educational. And uh, about 10 minutes into the movie... And it's it's funny somewhere I've somewhere I've got the cassette tapes because I used to cassette tape all the movies that you know I would watch on HBO that I was like really excited about, and at that time I would, this was my first time seeing a Clockwork Orange, so I taped it and about ten minutes into it there's a there's a rape scene with yeah. two ga- that, that turns into a gang fight, and you know they're like ripping the woman's clothes off and you can hear my grandfather go, hey. This ain't no Agent Orange. <laughs> kind of in a, actually, kind of in a Murray Clawhammer voice a, a little bit. You know, this ain't no Agent Orange. <laughs> I have a, I have a tape of the movie Stripes too, where uh, where um, and you know I was a little I was like you know ten years old, so I was a little dick. So I was like, Grandpa, you can't talk when I'm doing the movies. But every once in a while, and you know, now I regret that he didn't talk more to have his voice on there would be great. Yeah. But uh, there's um, a scene in Stripes where one of um, they're all introducing each other to the in basic training, all the recruits and one of them and the Harold Ramis character goes, oh, don't worry. You know, when when the shit hits a fan, I'll be behind you guys all the way. And you hear my grandfather in the background just go <laughs> behind him. <laughs> Uh, they just don't make them like that anymore (laughs) lighten up francis (laughs) oh jesus that line that line for some reason is just like one of the funniest things ever put into a movie when that move when that came out on hbo i don't know how many kids my friend i can i remember my friend george clark his parents let him watch anything so he always saw all the stuff first and told us what we had to watch. And I just remember he was using Lighten Up Francis. Lighten Up Francis and Army Training, sir. <laughs> Got used a lot in gym class. Well, the... Um, boy, boy, did we go off topic here. Now all we're right, at so, 
Conspiracy theories are bad. Okay. Um, look, this whole thing, you know, like, do nuclear weapons in fact exist? Just, just for the sake of simple intellectual honesty, I kind of have to be open-minded about it. But is it correct? Am I correct in, in assuming that you, in fact, are a nuclear weapon true believer? I'd like to believe that they don't exist or they don't work. I think that would be really cool. I think that would be more I, desirable. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd rather it's all just a farce, you know, and that, that if it ever came right down to it, you know, it would it would be like, oh, yeah, you got us. But, uh, well, you know, the, the, I, 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 with, with the evidence that I got in front of me, I mean, to, to definitively answer that would would take a, a, a lot of work. But just with what I have now, I would I would have to say that I would have to vote that it it does exist and it does work and that we've tested them and dropped them on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, I, on the other hand, I'm still amazed that there hasn't been in, in all the countries that have the bomb and, and all the, and all the people that have been able to get a hold of like nuclear material to make like a dirty bomb that, nothing nuclear has happened you know the only thing you know nuclear that's happened since world war ii has been with nuclear was been like chernobyl three mile island and um oh what's the one in japan now oh geez um the one that i know even more than the other two but either you know there hasn't been any i cannot believe that some psycho somewhere hasn't dropped you know, even a small one on somebody Fukushima. somewhere. Fukushima, yes. And uh, I've got Fukushima debris hanging in my room. I should be able to remember it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I that that's that's always amazed me that that even though you know, there's always the um, general thought. Well, nobody's ever used it because. Once you use it, that's it. It's the end of humans on Earth. I don't think that's There's necessary. an entire class of person out there for whom that is no deterrent. In fact, if anything, that's probably right. an enticement. So yeah, I yeah. Who wouldn't have any problem with it being the end of the world? And if it isn't, then it's going to work to their advantage. So, hey, let's do it, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that there hasn't been somebody who's done... I'm surprised that there aren't any terrorists who, who've set off you know, a, a, a dirty bomb somewhere, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I, and w- when, you know, it seems like, you know, it's obvious that they have dirty bombs and they have nuclear waste and nuclear materials that they could blow up and spread over a city block or whatever, but nobody's done it. I find that a little weird. But at I, the same- I find that a little bit encouraging, actually. Yeah, if, me too. Yeah, like, I'm, if, I'm glad if, I'm. I'm glad we've got we've we've gone this far without it. At the same time, maybe if there had been a, a little nuclear mishap somewhere, that might have kept it a little fresher in people's heads and feeling less, you know, just so that it, that, that they wouldn't have to think about it. But it's one of those things that it's like it's kind of useless. I think maybe society as a whole has gotten to the point of where it's like. You know, during the 50s, when people were in constant fear of, you know, 
there could be a nuclear attack, so we have to be ready for it and stuff. And and I think after a while, society as a whole said, you know, <laughs> if it's going to happen, we're not going to climb under our desks and be okay. So I'm not going to worry about it because there's nothing I can do if it happens. You know, it's sort of like the same leap of faith faith you make when you get on a plane, or I do anyway. Why I never like get nervous on a plane even when it's doing the weird you know turbulence hopping up and down it's just like if it's gonna crash i'm a goner 90 percent chance so you know it's in the hands of god or whatever you know so when i when See, i that land it's just so funny because like i had to fly uh, on a semi-regular basis when i was a senior in high school and i had to i had to break in the old man's liquor cabinet i used to have to get a little drunk in order to fly. I mean, I just yeah, fucking... That's I, not uncommon at all. My mother was terrified of flying. Uh, taking off was white knuckle for her, but landing was almost, like, unbearable. You know, she would, like... She would be stifling herself not to make a scene, and she's, oh, we're going too fast, we're going too fast, we're going too fast, we're going too fast, we're going, too fast, we're going to crash, we're going too fast. And it's like, no, I think this is what we're supposed to do. And, the, and then we'd land, okay, she'd be like, oh, okay, okay. We weren't going too fast, but you know, mm. it's uh, when you get on a plane, and and honestly, if you get on the back of a motorcycle, if you get in a car with somebody, it's the same deal. A plane is just way more dramatic, you know, when it went to set up in your mind. You're, you know, how many people haven't looked up at a plane flying up in the air and going, there's people in chairs <laughs> moving across the sky up there. That's pretty that's pretty intense, you know. Mm. And so I've always enjoyed the the feeling of flying and all that. So like I love being on planes. So it's never been a problem for me, but I under you know, I understand how it could it could be with other people because there's things that stress me out too and that that like when I get in that situation I'm going to get all stressed out and not like it it's just not a plane <laughs> well it's just there, actually there are i guess a couple of factors in that but uh, anyway well i think we've actually pretty much come come to the end of our end of our rope on this but but before well, what we... about you do you do you th you're you're so you're sort of like torn on or or like well for certain things i think it's i think it's really important that you have a very fixed belief you know, there are certain things that I believe and I'm going to need some pretty rock solid evidence before I change my mind about right, it. Right, right. When it comes to, you know, especially something when it comes to like matters of uh, scientific fact, right? Like I, for example, I've seen very credible uh, uh, evidence from people that I assume are a lot smarter than I am that Einstein's theory of special relativity is complete and utter horse shit. And so, you know, what I usually try to do for matters that, for things like that, I basically, I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to like pussy out on it and not, and not take a stand. It's more that I don't want to have to change my mind later. And so I just, right, right now, the preponderance well, of scientific evidence su su says, virtually guarantees that nuclear weapons are real and so i choose to simply be open-minded about it you know maybe they are maybe they're not i'm my world isn't going to come to an end either way um that's that's i think a malfunction in humans or something that humans have to work at is what you mentioned is i think when you get humans in a group 
there's always going to be that 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 pressure to take a stand on on everything you know it's it's much easier for humans on mass to have you know and and you know if you got humans you're going to have several several usually at least two positions to take a stand on but you know society in general is going to so you feel that pressure it's like you say you 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 feel like you're wussing out if you don't take a stand on something or being mamby pamby about it or or but that's the thing about critical thinking is sometimes you get to a point where you have to say i don't really know you know i could i could like you know with nuclear weapons i could say um to myself you know i could definitely put as much doubt into the reality of what we know about nuclear weapons because it's such a complicated area scientifically politically you know from an intelligence point of view there's a lot of you know there's a lot of um espionage aspects to it so there's only so you know there's only so much you're ever gonna really know and 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 that as opposed to something where you can go and go let me let me look at the scientific numbers on this let me see if, like all the you know scientists have done tests on this and what the information is and then you know all that you're never going to get all that information for for the the nuclear bombs so that that would always be one that I would be like I'm not gonna you know say I, w- I would knock somebody who's anti-vaxxer or or a legitimately a flat earther I would be like look dude you gotta do some do some thinking here's the here's the hard evidence you know and then walk away and be like there I, I just presented the case if I had to argue the case that nuclear weapons are are real I you know I don't think I would be able to do it definitively you know, I know I wouldn't be able to do it definitively I don't have the information and I probably never will so it it, it, it leaves it in that area where it's like I'm you know can't see myself fighting to the death over this one you know or or getting or getting too heated about it you know and a dis- discussion about it with with somebody who I, I disagree with because there's there's there there is a lot to where you can put um, doubt in that due to the 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 nature of the whole thing they'll never be able to you know they'll you know that I mean what would really um, be definitive is here's a here's all the plans on how to make a nuclear weapon and then somebody and, successfully and the scientists does it, go but... like oh yeah that would work yeah that would work but you can't do that no <laughs> although there's been leaked stuff and there's been you know the stories of the people that made leaked made their own little nuclear devices off the stuff that they found on the and the internet and stuff like that, but a leak design still, you would still need somebody to either build one and test it or, or, or at least scientists that I trusted to look at it go like, oh yeah, 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 that's, that's the real thing. <laughs> right. Well, either way, uh, I don't think that we necessarily settled anything here, but I don't know if that was necessarily the goal. But, I don't uh, think that- 
either way, you know, that seems like I like pro- this discussion more as like a discussion on on how conspiracy theories get started and and gain traction. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And you know, I mean, that it is kind of funny. You know, a uh, a study of conspiracy theories as a phenomenon that could be maybe that could be an episode all by itself, but. Anyway, maybe that's for the future, though. So before we say our final goodbyes, though, um, why don't you tell everybody where they could find you, as if as if they don't know. You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. How long in the future is this coming out? Um, I've eyeballed a release date uh, probably uh, – actually, you know what? Um, I'm just going to vamp for time here a little bit while I double-check my release schedule, give you an extremely wordy and – perhaps overly verbose response so that I can say for certain it's coming out on August the 15th, 2017. Ah, excellent. So relatively soon. In four days (laughs) from August 15th, if there's anybody in the New York City area, you you could go to Two True Freaks on Facebook and uh, find a thread on it that I'll have... um, pinned up there we're having a little two true freaks picnic in in queens at dario um dario Dario i almost wanted to call him dario argento dario gonzalez's place a third year running we're roasting a 50 pound pig this year baby oh that sounds awesome he bought he bought a special roaster where you put the pig inside and you put a um there's a top on it that you put a layer of charcoal on and roast it I believe it's it's either Puerto Rican or Cuban design, but it's gonna we're we're roasting up a whole pig, and so if you're a two true freaks if you're listening you're a two true freaks listener and you're in that area, come on to Facebook and check out our two true freaks page there and uh, find out where it is and you're welcome to come and get some free food and drink and hang out with I I know. For sure, Dario and I will be there. Uh, Chris Tyler is supposed to make it, and Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, and his wife and daughter are looking like they're going to be there, too. And that's awesome. just the beginning. Awesome. Well, I don't think I can make it, uh, unfortunately, but that sounds like a lot of fun. You guys have a... It's a, it's a long trip for you for, for a, a picnic for a day. <laughs> yeah. All right, well that i think is uh basically it uh, for me this week now as to next week i'm going to be talking about not just smallville but specifically how far i'm willing to go and why you should never underestimate what i'm willing to do for free pizza but uh that's going to be next week so i think that's pretty much it for me this week though so bye everybody i will see you next week Ugh, we are out. Sawate. 
My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. There's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe American hero. G.I. Joe is there. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there. Fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe American hero. G.I. Joe is there. Attention, Joes. This is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, Codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to G.I. Joe.com. HeadSpeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google Plus, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismissed. Now we know! And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is a proud member of the headcast family. The world never gives up, he'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus punches reality as a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus punches reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus punches reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners 
and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes. And you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with DeMonzacore of Milan, Italy.